0: This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In 1941, the journalist and screenwriter Leo Roston wrote, In Hollywood, as in Istanbul or Sioux Falls, the rich hasten to express their wealth and betray their fitful groping for status by erecting homes of unnecessary magnitude and splendor.
1: The man who built many of Hollywood's homes of unnecessary magnitude and splendor was Wallace Neff, Neff was a star
0: I know many people find the term star architect a pretty contemptible portmanteau, but Neff really was both famous in his own right and an architect to the
1: stars. One of his most famous projects was the renovation of Pickfair, the estate owned by the iconic silent film actress Mary Pickford and her husband Douglas Fairbanks. When the couple moved into Pickfair, the house sat on a nameless street in an empty neighborhood called Beverly Hills. If you were lucky enough to be invited to dinner at Pickfair, You might find yourself seated next to Babe Ruth, the King of Spain, or Albert Einstein. Life magazine called Pickfair only slightly less important than the White House and much more fun.
0: That's Los Angeles-based reporter David Weinberg.
1: Neff designed estates for Charlie Chaplin, Judy Garland, and Groucho Marx.
2: He designed uh, houses for all three Marx brothers. Madonna has owned a Neff house, Uh, Diane Keaton, who's the the blonde from... uh legally blunt. Reese Witherspoon? Yes. She she actually owns the, and we better fact check this, the Libby Ranch in Ojai.
1: Jeffrey Head is an architectural historian and the author of a book on Neff. I checked, and Reese Witherspoon does in fact own the Libby Ranch.
0: At the end of his life, Wallace Neff could have lived in a grand estate on the coast or a huge mansion in the Hollywood Hills. But instead, he lived in a 1,000 square foot, concrete bubble.
1: And Neff believed that this simple dome was one of his greatest architectural achievements. The story of the bubble house begins one morning when Neff was standing in his bathroom, shaving. It was 1934 so it was probably a straight razor. Neff looked down and noticed a small soap bubble that had formed on a sink. He reached out and touched it. The bubble held firm against his fingertip. That was the moment the idea struck him. He could build with air. He could build bubble houses.
0: And Neff wanted to build them by the thousands.
2: Near the end of the Second World War, architects were anticipating the post-war housing shortage and working on various solutions. Neff had a larger view and wanted to create a solution to meet the demand for housing worldwide.
1: Jeffrey Head's book about Neff is titled No Nails, No Lumber, because the bubble houses needed no nails and no lumber. Head says that Neff never saw the bubble houses as a way to make money. He saw them as a social responsibility, a way to provide low-cost housing for people.
2: He really didn't make money from it. In fact, spent a great deal of money, money from his other architectural practice, uh, and put it into the bubble houses.
1: Plus, Neff was already rich. Remember, he was building mansions for the Hollywood elite. And his grandfather was Andrew McNally, the cartographer who created Rand McNally Publishing.
0: Now Neff's idea of a dome-shaped dwelling was not entirely new. Indigenous cultures in the Americas had certainly explored that territory.
1: Even during Neff's lifetime, another guy, Buckminster Fuller, was creating his own circular solution to the housing shortage, the geodesic dome.
2: Yeah, and I think there's a misunderstanding. People will look at the bubble house and they think, oh, this is a a variation on Bucky Fuller. And it's... It's really not. It's, it, it's more of a, a variation on a, a form appearing in nature that someone has adopted for human scale, or human use.
1: What was original about Neff's design was the way the bubble houses were built. Neff invented a new method of construction.
0: He called it air Here's how
1: it worked. First, a big slab of concrete was poured in the shape of a giant coin. Now, picture a giant balloon in the shape of half a grapefruit with the flat side down. This balloon was tied down to the foundation using steel hooks.
2: So once the balloon was tied down, it was inflated with uh, through an inlet valve, and it took all of five minutes to inflate it.
1: After the balloon was inflated, it was coated in a fine powder.
2: And this, this would happen before the gunlight process. Ah, yes.
0: Let's take a minute to talk about the magical substance that is gunite or maybe you prefer the generic term shotcrete.
2: Yeah so the gunite was shot out of a cement gun and the gun had two hoses that came together at a nozzle.
1: One of the nozzles had water
2: and the other was dry cement mix and the water in the mix uh, came together under high pressure to form the gunite.
1: When the gunite dried, it was more than twice as strong as regular concrete. Neff loved the stuff. Once the balloon was coated in gunite, a layer of wire mesh was placed over that. Then a second layer of gunite was sprayed on, and bam, that's it. Two men with a balloon and a gunite machine could turn a bare patch of soil into a bubble house in less than 48 hours. And after the gunite dried, the balloon was deflated and pulled out through the front door so it could be used again on the next house.
0: And Neff claimed that the bubble houses were more fireproof, more earthquake-proof, and even more bomb-proof than any traditional structure.
1: Neff was so confident in his design that he would often invite people to bash the walls of the bubble with the backside of an axe.
0: Why was it the backside?
1: Yeah, yeah, for some (laughs) reason they used the backside. I don't know what the reasoning was, but I've seen on all the photos they're using the backside of the axe.
0: What Neff liked best about the bubble houses, though, was that they were incredibly
1: cheap, after Neff fine-tuned the airform process, he went in search of a client, someone with money who would hire him to build more bubble houses. And he found one,
2: the federal government. The first bubble houses were done during the war to uh, create uh, quick housing for government workers.
1: World War II had escalated, and the U.S. needed homes for military workers. So Neff convinced the government to build an experimental bubble house community, in a forest in Falls Church, Virginia.
0: In October of 1941, Neff began construction on the 12 bubble houses in Falls Church that would eventually be nicknamed Igloo Village.
3: There was no lighting of any kind on the street, and we arrived in the daytime, but it was still quite dark because there were so many trees.
1: Kathy Miles grew up in one of the Falls Church bubble houses. When she was five years old, her dad, who worked for the military, drove the family into the forest to show them their new house. He hadn't told his wife and two daughters that they would be living in a village of bubbles in the woods. It was dark and damp and isolated.
3: And I can remember coming up the street and there was a a cleared area with still many trees and very little grass, if any. And there were flagstones and there was this house. It didn't look like a house to me at that time, but there was something rising up from the ground, and it was white and large, and it had two large lumps, and they were held together in the middle with a smokestack. And of course, I was with my parents, and I don't remember what they were telling me, but I'm sure it was something that we were going to live in this new kind of house.
1: Do you remember what your mother's reaction was when she first saw it?
3: Her overt reaction was to stay calm and carry on. Uh, I think she was trying to make the best of it and hoping that we wouldn't live there long. So to come to something that looked like this, I think she was truly horrified.
1: The false church community consisted of two single bubble houses and 10 double bubble houses.
0: Kathy lived in one of the double bubbles.
1: The double bubbles were made by connecting two smaller bubbles with a rectangular cinder block structure that housed the kitchen and the bathroom. Kathy says that growing up in Igloo Village was incredibly isolating, and it made her stand out. One time, when she was in first grade...
3: I set out to draw a picture of my house, and of course we colored it, and I couldn't color it because I kept insisting there were no white crayons, and... So when the teacher looked at it, she kept saying, trying to explain to me that I was supposed to draw the house I lived in, and I kept saying, I do live in this house. So finally, I felt that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, and she clearly had no idea what I was doing. And of course, when we passed all the houses around to our friends to look at the pictures, the other children laughed and made fun of it and so it was pretty daunting as a and as an introduction to first grade for me
1: and sometimes kathy would be made to feel like an outsider in her own neighborhood people were constantly driving into igloo village to gawk at the weird families who lived deep in the woods inside strange hobbit dwellings
3: one of the things that all of us children in the early days were uncomfortable with, I think, was that when we were outside playing in the yards, uh, people would drive up the street uh, and they, again, it was a dark street because of the trees, and they would drive up very slowly, and as even in the summer, as they would come up the street, they would roll the windows of the car up and they would all be pressed against the glass and you would see them pointing. It was very much a zoo-like feeling. And I can even remember when I went to the zoo one time as a child, I, I remember thinking about how I felt when people were watching me. And I thought about how the animals were feeling with us watching them. So it had that much of an effect that I was able to make that transference.
1: Life in the bubble house was especially hard on Kathy's mom. Because there were no straight walls, she couldn't hang pictures or family photos, and the circular rooms were difficult to furnish. But living in a bubble wasn't all bad for Kathy. She discovered that she could easily climb up the side of the bubble onto the roof.
3: I was always a climber. In those days, you called it a tomboy.
1: But on the whole... These houses were really weird.
3: Really, I believe in this area and this time, this place, it was kind of doomed to failure.
1: Even though Igloo Village in Falls Church, Virginia, did not flourish, Neff was still able to land a few more clients. In 1942... The Southwest Cotton Company hired him to build a desert colony of bubbles in Litchfield Park, Arizona. The Southwest Cotton Company provided the cotton that Goodyear used to make Neff's giant half-grapefruit balloons. Neff also got a contract to build a bubble house dormitory for Loyola University in Los Angeles. And in 1944, the Pacific Linen Supply Company hired Neff to design the largest airform ever built. It was 100 feet in diameter and 32 feet high. Neff thought that the Pacific Linen Bubble, with its grandeur and prime location downtown, would finally convince the world that airform construction had arrived. Not just because bubbles were practical, but because they were beautiful.
0: But still, people just did not want to live in bubbles.
1: Eventually, everyone in America moved out of their bubbles, and they were all demolished. All of them except for one, which happens to be in Pasadena, about 10 miles from my apartment. It was dark when I arrived at the Bubble House. It's in a neighborhood of unremarkable suburban houses from the 1930s. When I got to the front yard, the sight of it stopped me in my tracks. A smooth, dark mound against the night sky. It was a little spooky, but breathtaking. Standing there, looking at it, I immediately thought of a passage I had read in Jeffrey Head's book. The passage was about this very house.
4: One turns onto a small residential street and is confronted with a house that looks nothing like a house. The fact that it has a front door and a few visible windows only adds to its incongruous presence. Looking at the house, which resembles a smooth mound of earth, it feels as if some ancient space station has suddenly fallen from the sky, and upon landing, it has mysteriously embedded itself into the wrong context. Its presence so strange, it seems to have traveled through both space and time.
0: That passage was written by the artist Steve Roden. Steve knows a lot about the Pasadena Bubble House. For the last 15 years, he's lived in it.
4: The only reason why I drove out here to look at the house with my wife was because the price was so cheap and the the image was so strange. And so when we turned the corner and saw this strange brown dome in the middle of an unbelievably conservative neighborhood it was sort of like what what the hell is this
1: steve was fascinated by its history and all the surprises that come with living in a bubble like the way that light moves across its curved surfaces
4: what's really cool in the living room at night is when cars drive by and the lights come in through the window when it projects on the dome form it's like a crazy it's like laserium or something you know it's really amazing None of the walls that separate the rooms in the bubble house go
1: all the way to the ceiling. So if Steve's wife is in the bedroom reading, her fingers cast shadows on the ceiling that he can see from the living room. But perhaps the very most badass thing about living in a bubble is the way sound travels through it.
0: It becomes a whispering gallery.
1: When Kathy Miles and her sister were growing up in Igloo Village, they also discovered these parabolic imperfections in the walls. And they used them, to send secret messages to each other.
3: I think early on, my sister and I learned that if you stood in certain places, you could hear people whispering, and if you stood in other places, you couldn't. And I remember conducting experiments to see where we could best hear and best not hear, just depending on whether we wanted our parents to hear us or we didn't want to be heard.
1: Steve loves his bubble house. He doesn't have the same problems that plague the false church houses. He has custom furniture designed for a circular room. And he's an artist. He likes standing out.
0: Given how much Steve loves his bubble, one could argue that perhaps the bubble houses might have endured a different fate if they were piloted here in California
1: rather than Northern Virginia. But there are plenty of people who aren't sad that the bubble houses died out like this guy. I think it was a bad idea. Stephanos Polyzoides is an architect who's quite happy living in a world without bubble houses.
5: It, it was a good idea when it came to maybe some industrial uses, but it was a very poor idea when it came to housing and how it may be a very uncomfortable dwelling, you know, the light, air, uh, assembly into neighborhoods and so on. It did not vary in form by region, either by culture or by climate or any other way. For Stephanos, architecture works best when it takes into account the
1: context of its environment and responds accordingly. Bubble houses, they're uniform. You can spray gunite onto a grapefruit balloon in Virginia or California or anywhere else, and it's going to look and function exactly the same.
5: One of the shortcomings of this house is that it's really mostly focused on the method of its construction. Stefanos took me on a
1: tour of his office, a uh, uh, Spanish uh, colonial uh, building uh, that he says is an okay. example of great architecture. Great. He showed me a balcony on the second floor where he and his partner sometimes do work.
5: And it's a favorite place of ours in that we are also urbanists and we dedicate an entire life fighting sprawl and trying to reurbanize the world properly and we have nothing in front of us here but a, a magnificent view of sprawl. This is our frame into the world, you know. It's like a panoramic view of what the rest of their lives ought to be about, kind of fix all this mess. Imagine if the
1: view from this balcony was a sea of bubble houses nothing but thousands of identical industrialized domes stretching into infinity. It would be a dystopian
5: nightmare for Stephanos. And even though he lives in a world of
1: sprawl, he has his office to take refuge in.
5: This building is magnificent because of very thick walls. So it's a perfect building for a hot, dry climate because when it's 80 degrees outside or 90 or 100, you keep the building tight closed and at at 6 o'clock in the afternoon, you open all the doors and windows and it vents down in no time. Stefanos explained how the arrangement of the windows provide balanced natural
1: light throughout the entire day. The design was based on the combination of Mediterranean and Spanish styles because Southern California has a Mediterranean climate with Spanish roots. These are the things the bubble house can't do. Be culturally relevant and adapt to the environment around it. This office was designed by an architect who spent his entire life designing buildings that did adapt to their environment and were culturally relevant to their surroundings.
0: This building was
5: designed by Wallace Neff. A uh, Classic Wallace Neff porch. This chair is actually a reconstruction of Neff. This is a Neff design. It was his office before it belonged to Stefanos.
1: I asked Stefanos why he thinks Neff did this complete 180 when he created the Bubble House, why he made something that was so antithetical to the rest of his work. Stefanos thinks it had something to do with the birth of modernism. You see, Neff was known for his Spanish colonial houses, White thick walls with red tile roofs and elaborate wrought iron window coverings. They're really popular in California. They're everywhere. But
0: there was this new movement happening all around Neff.
1: Architects like Neutra, Schindler, and Frank Lloyd Wright were making simple boxes of concrete with clean lines and lots of glass. They looked nothing like Neff's elaborate mansions.
5: People were beginning to look at younger architects maybe with, you know, wilder ideas and more relevance maybe to daily life and so on. Do you think it was sort of like a like a midlife crisis kind of thing? Of sorts. I mean, I I think great architects uh, continue to think their entire life and there comes a moment in which you look look at the movement taking the world over it's like a wildfire so you have to ask yourself am I the, the wood that doesn't burn or or shall I become part of the wind? But the modernists were not impressed with Neff's bubble houses. Steve Roden, the guy who
1: lives
4: in the Pasadena bubble house, told me almost the same thing. Young architects who are trying to like bring modernism forward you know they thought he was like a dilettante or something you know and I think he was an outsider probably because he was hobnobbing with movie stars I mean imagine if like uh Barry Manilow started a metal band it's not like anyone would take that seriously right no matter how great it was <laughs> I mean I'm not talking about ironically great but you know like what if it was great we none of us would buy into it and I think that was Part of his situation you know he wasn't like a hipster he he wasn't an unknown crazy dude he was a guy with a very strong practice who made giant houses for rich people
1: and yet neff never stopped believing in the bubble house he continued to make variations on it designing bubbles with straighter sides and flatter roofs ones with big holes cut out of the side even at the end of his life long after it was clear that the bubble house had no future He saw it as one of his greatest architectural achievements. He believed in it so strongly that he spent the end of his life living in a bubble house. In fact, he lived in the same house Steve Roden now lives in. Now, I don't want to play the bubble house off as just some failed idea. I think it should be a symbol of a design inspired by the highest ideals. Beauty, efficiency, affordable housing. A willingness to take risks on crazy ideas. To experiment with making the world a better place. Maybe the structure itself, the concrete shell that housed the idea, was flawed. Maybe people don't want to live in bubbles. But their legacy deserves reflection. And so does Neff. The guy invented a way to build houses out of air. That's f***ing awesome. And hardly anyone knows about him. And all the remains of his idea is this one last bubble house in Pasadena. Actually, that's not entirely true. It's the last bubble house in the United States. There were bubbles
0: in Pakistan, Egypt, Liberia, India, Jordan, Turkey, Kuwait, South Africa, the Virgin Islands, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba. There was an air-formed gas station in Brazil.
1: But the largest colony of bubble houses, 1,200 bubbles in one community, was built in Dakar, Senegal. Some of them are still standing in all their domed glory.
0: Senegal based producer Juliana Friend found the Dakar bubbles.
1: Juliana said that there's actually a sense of pride among some of the bubble dwellers. In comparison to other buildings in the area, the bubbles are pretty old. They were built before Senegalese independence. A guy who owns one of the bubbles told Juliana that, yeah, they're hot and uncomfortable, but it's part of our heritage. So I'll never knock it down. So it turns out that it's just Americans who don't want to live in bubbles.
0: Or at least, Americans are the ones who can afford to have the choice.
1: Because bubble houses were cheap and required so little material, they were way more practical in the developing world. So, in a sense, Neff actually got what he wanted. 99%
0: Invisible was produced this week by David Weinberg, Sam Greenspan, and me, Roman Mars. An earlier version of this story was produced as part of KCRW's Independent Producer Project. This episode is part of the STEM Story Project, made possible with funds from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. We are a project of 91.7 Local Public Radio KALW in San Francisco and the American Institute of Architects in San Francisco. Support for 99% Invisible is provided in part by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, blog, portfolio, and even an online store. Hey, and you know what? I spent a few hours using Squarespace last week, and I created my own website at RomanMars.com. And I think it turned out pretty good considering I have no skills in this arena whatsoever. And this is a good month to set up your own Squarespace site, because right now they're offering 20% off your first purchase on new accounts. That's double the previous discount when you use the offer code INVISIBLE9. You just pick out a template, you drag and drop things. It's amazingly easy and fun to use. I think you're going to like it. So for a free trial and 20% off any new account, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code INVISIBLE9. Squarespace. Everything you need to create an exceptional website. Support is also provided by tiny letter, email for people with something to say. My boys, Maslow and Carver, have something to say about bubble houses themselves. Okay, so would you guys like to live in a house shaped like a bubble?
2: No. Well, maybe.
0: We might need one more generation before bubble houses take over tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter from the great people behind MailChimp. We are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange, making public radio more public. Find out more and explore the glorious world of independent public radio at prx.org. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars. Sam Greenspan tweets at Sam listens. Oh, David Weinberg has this great podcast called Random Tape. You should absolutely check it out. But Right now, if you want to see amazing pictures of bubble houses and bubble houses being made, you have to go to 99percentinvisible.org or 99pi.org.